Welcome to the EAU Podcasts. In this edition, we have Professor Peter Gilling, Professor of Surgery at the University of Auckland, giving us some insights on the five-year results of the WATER study, a pivotal trial that compares aquablation versus transurethral resection of the prostate. These results were presented at this year's EAU Annual Congress in Amsterdam. What are the main findings of the WATER study? The WATER study was the pivotal trial for aquablation uh, versus TURP, and we're reporting the five-year results. The WATER study randomised 181 patients uh, with small prostates uh, in the range of 30 to 80 mils, and they were randomised two to one, and the safety and efficacy outcomes were the primary outcome measures. Our follow-up continued on for the full five years, and um, it's the results at five years uh, that we report today. The uh, important aspects of the uh, findings at five years are that the, particularly the IPSS, uh, the prostate symptom score, the, and the QMAX values were uh, statistically uh, similar between aquablation and TURP at the five-year mark. There were uh, fewer medical and surgical retreatments in the aquablation arm, and the results themselves, uh, the delta over baseline for particularly the IPSS score was 15 for aquablation and 13 for TURP. So I think uh, the study really uh, serves to give us medium-term durability results for aquablation and compares it to the former gold standard, which is TURP. Bleeding complications have been an issue from the very beginning. What are your personal recommendations to consumers to overcome this obstacle? Hemostasis has been an issue with aquablation uh, since the uh, first cases were done in 2013. We originally started with uh, using laser energy to uh, coagulate the fossa, we, and then we used electrocautery. There was a period when we were uh, using traction alone with no electrocautery in an effort to decrease irritative symptoms, uh, but that soon proved to be uh, insufficient, and there were some transfusions related to that. There was a bespoke traction device at one stage, but then, but now we've moved back to um, using judicious bladder neck electrocautery as part of the standard uh, procedure, and uh, this has pretty much eliminated the need for blood transfusion and really sorted out the bleeding problem. Who is the ideal patient for aquablation? Who benefits the most, and who should not be treated with aquablation? The patients that we studied uh, in this trial were patients with prostates up to 80 grams. Uh, 80 grams uh, as a cut point means that most patients can be treated and these results are applicable to them. There are two other studies, uh, the Open Water Study and the Water 2 Study, which looked at prostates up to 150 cc's, and they found that those were quite uh, acceptable size ranges as well. So I think we, we can say that um, prostates up to 150 grams have been 
satisfactorily treated, and this is over 90% of the prostates that uh, urologists will see surgically. Uh, median lobes are not a contraindication um, because patients with small and moderate um, median lobes were included in this study. But <clears throat> essentially, uh, anticoagulation would be one of the uh, patient groups that um, can't be, cannot be safely uh, treated without either bridging or uh, reversing the anticoagulation before the procedure is done. But by and large, most patients over 30 cc's can safely be done with this technique. If you could change any steps in the technique to improve the procedure, what would they be? I think as prostates get bigger, the, um, the technique changes slightly and uh, it is uh, quite usual to uh, use two or sometimes even three passes of the uh, robotic, uh, robotically controlled water jet. Up to 80 grams, only one pass is necessary, but uh, once you're using two or three passes, these might in the future be pre-programmed into uh, the device so that uh, patients uh, so that the, the uh, procedure is uh, as efficient with, as it already is for the smaller glands, though sometimes there is a need for repositioning, but it might just be that you need to change the parameters and pre-program them just on the basis of, what, of the known anatomy. It's probably something that I could uh, see enhancing the technique, uh, and it would be a, a, a module dedicated to... Uh, uh, treating the large prostates specifically. But um, <clears throat> by and large, uh, the steps are quite straightforward and uh, readily assimilated by most urologists. Do you believe that aquablation will remain one of the options for BPH surgery, or does it have the potential to become the new reference method? I think we're starting to see that, particularly in big urology groups, uh, this technology can be uh, rolled out as the standard technique for most prostates of most configurations and over the course of um, a full day's operating uh, once you get proficient with this technique you can safely schedule them at uh, 45 minute intervals uh, and this is um, independent of size so you might do a 40 grammer then 150 grammer then an 80 grammer and then a 70 grammar and so on. And over the course of uh, the day, once the, the team are in tune, it could be a, a very efficient way of uh, doing significant numbers uh, of prostates of all sizes and configurations. <clears throat> and I think that's what administrators like particularly, is that um, efficiency and, and also the... Uh, um, the, the way that the procedure itself is uh, so reproducible between cases and it's all uh, recorded. It's not, um, uh, it, it, these te techniques can be uh, viewed and reviewed uh, after the fact if uh, the um, results are suboptimal. But um, I, I can see it um, for, particularly for countries like New Zealand and the UK where there are significant waiting lists to have these surgeries done, I can see this as a very uh, useful tool 
and um, certainly become uh, an established part of the armamentarium and uh, potentially even a new gold, gold standard as it uh, continues to uh, improve and uh, increase in uptake. Thank you for joining Professor Peter Gilling for this episode of EAU Podcasts on Male LUTs. For further educational content on male LUTs, please visit our website, eurolutz.euroweb.org. For more EAU podcasts, please go to your favourite podcast app and subscribe to EAU Podcasts for regular updates.